Section 37 of Hinduism and Buddhism, an Historical Sketch, Volume 1. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Hinduism and Buddhism, an Historical Sketch, Volume 1, by Charles Eliot. Life of the Buddha, Parts 4 and 5 political changes in which however he took no part occurred in the last years of the buddha's life in magadha ajatasattu had come to the throne if as the vinaya represents he at first supported the schism of devadatta he subsequently became a patron of the buddha he was an ambitious prince and fortified pataligama afterwards pataliputra against the Vajian confederation, which he destroyed a few years after the Buddha's death. This confederation was an alliance of small oligarchies like the Lekavis and Videans. It would appear that this form of constitution was on the wane in northern India, and that the monarchical states were annexing the decaying commonwealths. In Kosala, Vidudaba conquered Kapilavatu a year or two before the Buddha's death, and is said to have perpetrated a great massacre of the Sakya clan. Footnote 371. No account of this event has yet been found in the earliest texts, but it is no doubt historical. The versions found in the Jataka and commentaries trace it back to a quarrel about a marriage but the story is not very clear or consistent and the real motive was probably that indicated above End footnote. possibly in consequence of these events the buddha avoided kosala and the former sakya territory at any rate the record of his last days opens at rajagaha the capital of magadha this record is contained in the Mahaparinibbana Sutta, the longest of the suttas, and evidently a compilation. The style is provokingly uneven. It often promises to give a simple and natural narrative, but such passages are interrupted by more recent and less relevant matter. No general estimate of its historical value can be given, but each incident must be apprised separately. Nearly all the events and discourses recorded in it are found elsewhere in the canon in the same words, and it contains explanatory matter of a suspiciously apologetic nature. Footnote 372 See Rhys David's Dialogues 2, page 70, and Przelewski's articles in J.A. 1918 and following pages. Le Paris Nirvana et les funérailles de Buddha, where the Pali texts are compared with the Mula Sarvastivadin Vinaya and with other accounts. End footnote. Also, the supernatural element is freely introduced. But together with all this, it contains plain, pathetic pictures of an old man's fatigue and sufferings which would not have been inserted by a later hand had they not been found ready in tradition and though events and sermonettes are strung together in a way which is not artistic there is nothing improbable in the idea 
that the buddha when he felt his end approaching should have admonished his disciples about all that he thought most important the story opens at rajagaha about six months before the buddha's death the king sends his minister to ask whether he will be successful in attacking the vajians the buddha replies that as long as they act in concord behave honorably and respect the faith so long may they be expected not to decline but prosper the compiler may perhaps have felt this narrative to be an appropriate parallel to the buddha's advice to his disciples to live in peace and order he summoned and addressed the brethren living in rajagaha and visited various spots in the neighborhood in these last utterances one phrase occurs with special frequency great is the fruit great the advantage of meditation accompanied by upright conduct great is the advantage of intelligence accompanied by meditation the mind which has such intelligence is freed from intoxications from the desires of the senses from love of life from delusion and from ignorance he then set forth accompanied by ananda and several disciples judging from the route adopted his intention was to go ultimately to savvati this was one of the towns where he resided from time to time but we cannot tell what may have been his special motives for visiting it on the present occasion for if the king of kosala had recently massacred the sakyas his presence there would have been strange the road was not direct but ran up northwards and then followed the base of the mountains thus enabling travellers to cross rivers near their sources where they were still easy to ford the stopping-places from rajagaha onwards were nalanda pataliputra vesali bandagama pava kusinara kapilavattu settavya savatti on his last journey the buddha is represented as following this route but he died at the seventh stopping-place kusinara when at pataligama he prophesied that it would become a great emporium footnote three seventy three this was probably written after pataliputra had become a great city but we do not know when its rise commenced End footnote. he was honorably entertained by the officers of the king who decided that the gate and ferry by which he left should be called gotama's gate and gotama's ferry the gate received the name but when he came to the ganges he vanished miraculously and appeared standing on the further bank he then went on to vesali passing with indifference and immunity from the dominions of the king of magadha into those of his enemies and halted in the grove of the courtesan ambapali footnote three seventy four she was a noted character in vesali in mahavaga eight one people are represented as saying that it was through her the place was so flourishing and that it would be a good thing if there were someone like her in rajagaha End footnote. she came to salute him and he accepted her invitation to dine with her on the morrow 
in spite of the protests of the Likkavi princes. The rainy season was now commencing, and the Buddha remained near Vesali in the village of Beluva, where he fell seriously ill. One day after his recovery, he was sitting in the shade with Ananda, who said that during the illness his comfort had been the thought that the Buddha would not pass away without leaving final instructions to the order. The reply was a remarkable address, which is surely, at least in parts, the Buddha's own words. Quote, what does the order expect of me, Ananda? I have preached the truth without any distinction of esoteric or exoteric, for in respect of the truth there is no clenched hand in the teaching of the Tathagata. If there is anyone who thinks it is I who will lead the brotherhood or the order is dependent on me, it is he who should give instructions. But the Tathagata does not think that he should lead the order or that the order is dependent on him. Why then should he leave instructions? I am an old man now and full of years. My pilgrimage is finished. I have reached my sum of days. I am turning eighty years and just as a worn-out cart can only be made to move along with much additional care, so can the body of the Tathagata be kept going only with much additional care. It is only when the Tathagata, ceasing to attend to any outward thing, becomes plunged in meditation, it is only then that the body of the Tathagata is at ease. Therefore, Ananda, be a lamp and a refuge to yourselves. Seek no other refuge. Let the truth be your lamp and refuge. Seek no refuge elsewhere. And they, Ananda, who now, or when I am dead, shall be a lamp and a refuge to themselves, seeking no other refuge but taking the truth as their lamp and refuge, these shall be my foremost disciples, these who are anxious to learn. End quote. This discourse is succeeded by a less convincing episode in which the Buddha tells Ananda that he can prolong his life to the end of a world period if he desires it. But though the hint was thrice repeated, the heedless disciple did not ask the master to remain in the world. When he had gone, Mara, the evil one, appeared and urged on the Buddha that it was time for him to pass away. He replied that he would die in three months, but not before he had completely established the true religion. Thus he deliberately rejected his allotted span of life, and an earthquake occurred. He explained the cause of it to Ananda, who saw his mistake too late. Quote, Enough, Ananda. The time for making such a request is past. End quote. Footnote 375 the whole passage is interesting as displaying even in the pali canon the germs of the idea that the buddha is an eternal spirit only partially manifested in the limits of human life in the maha parinibbana sutta gotama is only voluntarily subject to natural death End footnote. the narrative becomes more human when it relates how one afternoon he looked at the town and said 
this will be the last time that the tathagata will behold vesali come ananda let us go to bandagama after three halts he arrived at pava and stopped in the mango grove of kunda a smith who invited him to dinner and served sweet rice cakes and a dish which has been variously interpreted as dried boar's flesh or a kind of truffle the buddha asked to be served with this dish and bade him give the sweet rice and cakes to the brethren after eating some of it he ordered the rest to be buried saying that no one in heaven or earth except a buddha could digest it a strange remark to chronicle since it was this meal which killed him footnote three seventy six the phrase occurs again in the sutta nipata its meaning is not clear to me End footnote. but before he died he sent word to kunda that he had no need to feel remorse and that the two most meritorious offerings in the world are the first meal given to a buddha after he has obtained enlightenment and the last one given him before his death on leaving kunda's house he was attacked by dysentery and violent pains but bore them patiently and started for kusinara with his disciples in going thither he crossed the river kakuta and some verses inserted into the text which sound like a very old ballad relate how he bathed in it and then weary and worn out lay down on his cloak footnote three seventy seven the text seems to represent him as crossing first a streamlet and then the river End footnote. a curious incident occurs here a young malian named pukwisa after some conversation with the buddha presents him with a robe of cloth of gold but when it is put on it seems to lose its splendor so exceedingly clear and bright is his skin gotama explains that there are two occasions when the skin of a buddha glows like this the night of his enlightenment and the night before his death the transfiguration of christ suggests itself as a parallel and is also associated with an allusion to his coming death most people have seen a face so light up under the influence of emotion that this popular metaphor seems to express physical truth and it is perhaps not excessive to suppose that in men of exceptional gifts this illumination may have been so bright as to leave traces in tradition then they went on to a grove at kusinara and he lay down on a couch spread between two sala trees footnote three seventy eight it is not said how much time elapsed between the meal at kunda's and the arrival at kusinara but since it was his last meal he probably arrived the same afternoon End footnote. these trees were in full bloom though it was not the season for their flowering heavenly strains and odors filled the air and spirits unseen crowded round the bed but ananda we are told went into the vihara which was apparently also in the grove and stood leaning against the lintel weeping at the thought that he was to lose so kind a master the buddha sent for him and said do not weep 
have i not told you before that it is the very nature of things most near and dear to us that we must part from them leave them sever ourselves from them all that is born brought into being and put together carries within itself the necessity of dissolution how then is it possible that such a being should not be dissolved no such condition is possible for a long time ananda you have been very near me by words of love kind and good that never varies and is beyond all measure you have done well ananda be earnest in effort and you too shall soon be free from the great evils from sensuality from individuality from delusion and from ignorance the indians have a strong feeling that persons of distinction should die in a suitable place and now comes a passage in which ananda begs the buddha not to die quote, in this little wattle and daub town in the midst of the jungle end quote, but rather in some great city footnote three seventy nine compare with lyle's poem on a rajput chief of the old school who when nearing his end has to leave his pleasure garden in order that he may die in the ancestral castle End footnote. the buddha told him that kusinara had once been the capital of king mahasudasana and a scene of great splendor in former ages this narrative is repeated in an amplified form in the sutta and jataka called mahasudasana in which the buddha is said to have been that king in a previous birth footnote three eighty diga nikaya seventeen and jataka ninety five end footnote kusinara was at that time one of the capitals of the malas who were an aristocratic republic like the sakyas and vajians at the buddha's command ananda went to the council hall and summoned the people Quote, give no occasion to reproach yourself hereafter saying the tathagata died in our own village and we neglected to visit him in his last hours so the malas came and ananda presented them by families to the dying buddha as he lay between the flowering trees saying quote, lord a mala of such and such a name with his children his wives his retinue and his friends humbly bows down at the feet of the blessed one a monk called supada who was not a believer also came and ananda tried to turn him away but the buddha overhearing said quote, do not keep out supada whatever he may ask of me he will ask from a desire for knowledge and not to annoy me and he will quickly understand my replies he was the last disciple whom the buddha converted and he straightway became an arhat now comes the last watch of the night quote, it may be ananda said the buddha that some of you may think the word of the master is ended we have no more a teacher but you should not think thus the truths and the rules which i have declared and laid down for you all let them be the teacher for you after i am gone when i am gone address not one another as hitherto saying friend 
an elder brother may address a younger brother by his name or family name or as friend but a younger brother should say to an elder sir or lord when i am gone let the order if it should so wish abolish all the lesser and minor precepts End quote. thus in his last address the dying buddha disclaims as he had disclaimed before in talking to ananda all idea of dictating to the order his memory is not to become a paralyzing tradition what he had to teach he has taught freely holding back nothing in a clenched fist the truths are indeed essential and immutable but they must become a living part of the believer until he is no longer a follower but a light unto himself the rest does not matter the order can change all the minor rules if expedient but in everyday life discipline and forms must be observed hitherto all have been equal compared with the teacher but now the young must show more respect for the older and in the same spirit of solicitude for the order he continues quote, when i am gone the highest penalty should be imposed on channa what is that lord let him say what he likes but the brethren should not speak to him or exhort him or admonish him End quote. footnote three eighty one it is said that this discipline was efficacious and that chana became an arhat end footnote the end approaches quote, it may be that there is some doubt or misgiving in the mind of some as to the buddha or the truth or the path or the way inquire freely do not have to reproach yourselves afterwards with the thought our teacher was face to face with us and we could not bring ourselves to inquire when we were face to face with him all were silent a second and third time he put the same question and there was silence still Quote, it may be that you put no questions out of awe for the teacher let one friend communicate to another End quote there was still silence till ananda said how wonderful lord and how marvelous in this whole assembly there is no one who has any doubt or misgiving as to the buddha the truth the path and the way out of the fullness of faith hast thou spoken ananda but the tathagata knows for certain that it is so even the most backward of all these five hundred brethren has become converted and is no longer liable to be born in a state of suffering and is assured of final salvation behold i exhort you saying the elements of being are transitory footnote three eighty two it is difficult to find a translation of these words which is both accurate and natural in the mouth of a dying man the pali text vaya dhamma sankara transitory by nature are the sankharas is brief and simple but any correct and adequate rendering sounds metaphysical and is dramatically inappropriate perhaps the rendering all compound things must decompose expresses the buddha's meaning best but the verbal antithesis between compound and 
decomposing is not in the original and though sankara is etymologically the equivalent of confection or synthesis it hardly means what we call a compound thing as opposed to a simple thing End footnote. strive earnestly these were the last words of the tathagata End quote. then he passed through a series of trances no less than twenty stages are enumerated and expired an earthquake and thunder as one might have predicted occurred at the moment of his death but comparatively little stress is laid on these prodigies anuruddha seems to have taken the lead among the brethren and bade ananda announce the death to the malas they heard it with cries of grief Quote, too soon has the blessed one passed away too soon has the light gone out of the world no less than six days were passed in preparation for the obsequies footnote three eighty three the buddha before his death had explained that the corpse of a buddha should be treated like the corpse of a universal monarch it should be wrapped in layers of new cloth and laid in an iron vessel of oil then it should be burnt and a dagoba should be erected at four crossroads End footnote. on the seventh they decided to carry the body to the south of the city and there burn it but when they endeavored to lift it they found it immovable anuruddha explained that spirits who were watching the ceremony wished it to be carried not outside the city but through it when this was done the corpse moved easily and the heaven rained flowers the meaning of this legend is that the malas considered a corpse would have defiled the city and therefore proposed to carry it outside by letting it pass through the city they showed that it was not the ordinary relics of impure humanity again when they tried to light the funeral pile it would not catch fire anuruddha explained that this delay also was due to the intervention of spirits who wished that the mahakasapa the same whom the buddha had converted at uruvela and then on his way to pay his last respects should arrive before the cremation when he came attended by five hundred monks the pile caught fire of itself and the body was consumed completely leaving only the bones streams of rain extinguished the flames and the malas took the bones to their council hall there they set round them a hedge of spears and a fence of bows and honored them with dance and song and offerings of garlands and perfumes whatever may be thought of this story the veneration of the buddha's relics which is attested by the piprava vase is a proof that we have to do with a man rather than a legend the relics may all be false but the fact that they were venerated some two hundred fifty years after his death shows that the people of india thought of him not as an ancient semi-divine figure like rama or krishna but as something human and concrete seven persons or communities sent requests for a portion of the relics saying that they would erect a stupa over them and 
hold a feast they were king ajatasattu of magada the lakavis of vesali the sakyas of kapilavattu the bulis of alakapa the kutiyas of ramagama the malas of pava and the brahmin of vetadipa footnote three eighty four the malas had two capitals kusinara and pava corresponding to two subdivisions of the tribe End footnote. all except the last were kshatriyas and based their claim on the ground that they like the buddha belonged to the warrior caste the malas at first refused but a brahmin called donna bade them not quarrel over the remains of him who taught forbearance so he divided the relics into eight parts one for kusinara and one for each of the other seven claimants at this juncture the moriyas of pipfalivana sent in a claim for a share but had to be content with the embers of the pyre since all the bones had been distributed then eight stupas were built for the relics in the towns mentioned and one over the embers and one by jonah the brahmin over the iron vessel in which the body had been burnt End chapter four life of the buddha chapter five thus ended the career of a man who was undoubtedly one of the greatest intellectual and moral forces that the world has yet seen but it is hard to arrive at any certain opinion as to the details of his character and abilities for in the later accounts he is deified and in the pitakas though veneration has not gone so far as this he is ecclesiasticized and the human side is neglected the narrative moves like some stately ceremonial in which emotion and incident would be out of place until it reaches the strange deathbed spread between the flowering trees and ananda introduces with the formality of a court chamberlain the mala householders who have come to pay their last respects and bow down at the feet of the dying teacher the scenes described are like stained glass windows the lord preaching in the centre sinners repenting and saints listening all in harmonious colours and studied postures but the central figure remains somewhat aloof when once he had begun his ministry he laboured uninterruptedly and with continual success but the foundation of the kingdom of righteousness seems less like the triumphant issue of a struggle than the passage through the world of some compassionate angel this is in great part due to the fact that the pitakas are works of edification true they set before us the teacher as well as his teaching but they speak of his doings and historical surroundings only in order to provide a proper frame for the law which he preached a less devout and more observant historian would have arranged the picture differently and even in the narratives that have come down to us there are touches of human interest which seem authentic when the buddha was dying ananda wept because he was about to lose so kind a master and the buddha's own language to him is even more affectionate he cared not only for the organization of the order but for its individual members he is frequently represented as feeling that 
some disciple needed a particular form of instruction and giving it nor did he fail to provide for the comfort of the sick and weary for instance a ballad relates how panthaka driven from his home took refuge at the door of the monastery garden footnote three eighty five Hiragatha 557 and forward pages. Water to refresh tired and dusty feet is commonly offered to anyone who comes from a distance. End footnote. Quote, then came the Lord and stroked my head, and taking me by the arm, led me into the garden of the monastery, and out of kindness he gave me a towel for my feet. End quote. A striking anecdote relates how he once found a monk who suffered from a disagreeable disease lying on the ground in a filthy state. Footnote 386. Mahavaga 826. End footnote. So, with Ananda's assistance, he washed him and, lifting him up with his own hands, laid him on his bed then he summoned the brethren and told them that if a sick brother had no special attendant the whole order should wait on him quote, you monks have no mothers or fathers to care for you if you do not wait one on the other who is there who will wait on you whosoever would wait on me he should wait on the sick End quote. This last recalls Christ's words, quote, Inasmuch as ye have done it unto the least of these brethren, ye have done it unto me. End quote. And if his approval of monks being deaf to the claims of family affection seems unfeeling, it should also be mentioned that in the book called Songs of the Nuns, women relate how they were crazy at the loss of their children, but found complete comfort and peace in his teaching footnote three eighty seven example terigatha one thirty three and pages forward it should also be remembered that orientals particularly chinese and japanese find christ's behavior to his mother as related in the gospels very strange End footnote. sometimes we are told that when persons whom he wished to convert proved refractory he quote, suffused them with the feeling of his love end quote, until they yielded to his influence footnote three eighty eight example roja the malta in mahavaga six thirty six and the account of the interview with the five monks in the nidana katha rhys david's buddha birth stories page one twelve and footnote we can hardly doubt that this somewhat cumbrous phrase preserves a tradition of his personal charm and power the beauty of his appearance and the pleasant quality of his voice are often mentioned but in somewhat conventional terms which inspire no confidence that they are based on personal reminiscence nor have the most ancient images which we possess any claim to represent his features for the earliest of them are based on greek models and it was not the custom to represent him by a figure until some centuries after his death i can imagine that the truest idea of his person is to be obtained not from the abundant effigies which show him as a somewhat sanctimonious ascetic but from statues of him as a young man such as that found at sarnath 
which may possibly preserve not indeed the physiognomy of gotama but the general physique of a young nepalese prince with powerful limbs and features and a determined mouth for there is truth at the bottom of the saying that gotama was born to be either a buddha or a universal monarch he would have made a good general if he had not become a monk we are perhaps on firmer ground when we find speakers in the pitakas commenting on his calm and bright expression and his unruffled courtesy in discussion footnote three eighty nine example majima nikaya thirty six end footnote of his eloquence it is hard to judge the suttas may preserve his teaching and some of his words but they are probably rearrangements made for recitation still it is impossible to prove that he did not himself adopt this style particularly when age and iteration had made the use of certain formulae familiar to him but though these repetitions and subdivisions of arrangement are often wearisome there are not wanting traces of another manner which suggest a terse and racy preacher going straight to the point and driving home his meaning with homely instances humor often peeps through the buddha's preaching it pervades the jataka stories and more than once he is said to have smiled when remembering some previous birth some suttas such as the tales of the great king of glory and of king mahavijita's sacrifice are simply jatakas in another form interesting stories full of edification for those who can understand but not to be taken as a narrative of facts footnote three ninety diga nikaya seventeen and five end footnote at other times he simply states the ultimate facts of a case and leaves them in their droll incongruity thus when king ajatasattu was moved and illuminated by his teaching he observed to his disciples that his majesty had all the makings of a saint in him if only he had not killed that excellent man his own father somewhat similar is his judgment on two naked ascetics who imitated in all things the ways of a dog and a cow respectively in the hope of thus obtaining salvation footnote three ninety one majima nikaya fifty seven end footnote when pressed to say what their next birth would be he opined that if their penance was successful they would be reborn as dogs and cows if unsuccessful in hell irony and modesty are combined in his rejection of extravagant praise Quote, such faith have i lord said sariputta that methinks there never has been nor will be nor is now any other greater or wiser than the blessed one of course sariputta is the reply you have known all the buddhas of the past no lord well then you know those of the future no lord then at least you know me and have penetrated my mind thoroughly not even that lord then why sariputta are your words so grand and bold 
Footnote 392. Maha Sutta 1, 61. End footnote. There is much that is human in these passages, yet we should be making a fancy portrait did we allow ourselves to emphasize them too much and neglect the general tone of the Pitakas. These scriptures are the product of a school but that school grew up under the buddha's personal influence and more than that is rooted in the very influences and tendencies which produced the buddha himself the passionless intellectual aloofness the elemental simplicity with which the facts of life are stated and explained without any concession to sentiment the rigor of the prescription for salvation that all sensual desire and attachment must be cut off are too marked and consistent for us to suppose them due merely to monkish inability to understand the more human side of his character the buddha began his career as an indian muni one supposed to be free from all emotions and intent only on seeking deliverance from every tie connecting him with the world this was expected of him and had he done no more it would have secured him universal respect the fact that he did a great deal more that he devoted his life to active preaching that he offered to all happiness and escape from sorrow that he personally aided with advice and encouragement all who came to him caused both his contemporaries and future generations to regard him as a savior his character and the substance of his teaching were admirably suited to the needs of the religious world of india in his day judged by the needs of other temperaments which are entitled to neither more nor less consideration they seem too severe too philosophic and the later varieties of buddhism have endeavored to make them congenial to less strenuous natures before leaving the personality of the buddha we must say a word about the more legendary portions of his biography for though of little importance for history they have furnished the chief subjects of buddhist art and influenced the minds of his followers as much as or more than the authentic incidents of his career footnote three ninety three the earliest sources for these legends are the mahavastu the sanskrit vinayas preserved in chinese translations the lalita vistara the introduction to the jataka and the buddha karita for burmese sinhalese tibetan and chinese lives of the buddha see the works of bigan day hardy rockhill and schiefner Uyghur and beale see also foucher l'instantien des actes du buddha and hakin scene de la vie du buddha d'après des peintures tibétaines End footnote. the later legend has not distorted the old narrative it is possible that all its incidents may be founded on stories known to the compilers of the pitakas though this is not at present demonstrable but they are embellished by an unstinted use of the supernatural and of the hyperbole usual in indian poetry the youthful buddha moves through showers of flowers and an atmosphere crowded with attendant deities 
he cannot even go to school without an escort of ten thousand children and a hundred thousand maidens and astonishes the good man who proposes to teach him the alphabet by suggesting sixty-four systems of writing the principal scenes in this legend are as follows the bodhisattva that is the buddha to be resides in the tusita heaven and selects his birthplace and parentage he then enters the womb of his mother maya in the shape of a white elephant which event she sees in a dream brahmins are summoned and interpret the vision to mean that her son will be a universal monarch or a buddha when near her confinement maya goes to visit her parents but on the way brings forth her son in the lumbini grove as she stands upright holding the bough of a tree he issues from her side without pain to her and is received by deities but on touching the ground takes seven steps and says i am the foremost in the world on the same day are born several persons who play a part in his life his wife his horse ananda bimbisara and others asita does homage to him as does also his father and it is predicted that he will become a buddha and renounce the world his father in his desire to prevent this secludes him in the enjoyment of all luxury at the ploughing festival he falls into a trance under a tree and the shadow stands still to protect him and does not change again his father does him homage he is of herculean strength and surpasses all as an archer he marries his cousin yasodhara when sixteen years old then come the four visions which are among the scenes most frequently depicted in modern sacred art as he is driving in the palace grounds the gods show him an old man a sick man a corpse and a monk of happy countenance his charioteer explains what they are and he determines to abandon the world it was at this time that his son was born and on hearing the news he said that a new fetter now bound him to worldly life but still decided to execute his resolve that night he could take no pleasure in the music of the singing women who were wont to play to him and they fell asleep as he looked at their sleeping forms he felt disgust and ordered chana his charioteer to saddle kantaka a gigantic white horse eighteen cubits long from head to tail meanwhile he went to his wife's room and took a last but silent look as she lay sleeping with her child then he started on horseback attended by chana and a host of heavenly beings who opened the city gates here he was assailed by mara the tempter who offered him universal empire but in vain after jumping the river anoma on his steed he cut off his long hair with his sword and flinging it up into the air wished it might stay there if he was really to become a buddha it remained suspended admiring gods placed it in a heavenly shrine 
and presented gotama with the robes of a monk not much is added to the account of his wanderings and austerities as given in the pitakas but the attainment of buddhahood naturally stimulates the devout imagination at daybreak gotama sits at the foot of a tree lighting up the landscape with the golden rays which issue from his person sujara a noble maiden and her servant purna offer him rice and milk in a golden vessel and he takes no more food for seven weeks he throws the vessel into the river wishing that if he is to become a buddha it may ascend the stream against the current it does so and then sinks to the abode of the nagas towards evening he walks to the bodhi tree and meets a grass cutter who offers him grass to make a seat this he accepts and taking his seat vows that rather than rise before attaining buddhahood he will let his blood dry up and his body decay then comes the great assault of the tempter mara attacks him in vain both with an army of terrible demons and with bands of seductive nymphs during the conflict mara asked him who is witness to his ever having performed good deeds or bestowed alms he called on the earth to bear witness earthquakes and thunders responded to the appeal and the goddess of the earth herself rose and bore testimony the rout of mara is supposed to have taken place in the late evening the full moon came out and in the three watches of the night he attained enlightenment footnote three ninety four it was the full moon of the month vaisaka End footnote. the pali and early sanskrit texts place the most striking legendary scenes in the first part of the buddha's life just as scribes give freest rein to their artistic imagination in tracing the first letter and word of a chapter in the later version the whole text is colored and gilded with a splendor that exceeds the hues of ordinary life but no incidents of capital importance are added after the enlightenment footnote three ninety five the best known of the later biographies of the buddha such as the lalita vistara and the buddha karita of asva gosha stop short after the enlightenment End footnote. historical names still occur and the buddha is still a wandering teacher with a band of disciples but his miracles continually convulse the universe he preaches to mankind from the sky and retires for three months to the tusita heaven in order to instruct his mother who had died before she could hear the truth from her son's lips and often the whole scene passes into a vision where the ordinary limits of space time and number cease to have any meaning end of chapter five end of section thirty seven Recording by Linda Johnson.